most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Mrs. Jones. Yes, sir. You're looking mighty fine today. <laughs> Thank you. Episode 277. Welcome, everybody, to Keeping Up With The Joneses. I'm one of your hosts, Alan Jones. <laughs> Joining me today is my beautiful co-host. Well, this is very, like, uh, you know, You can't shut formal. me down. I'm in a formal. roll. All right. You do you, boo. You're wearing a suit jacket, so it kind of feels formal. It's true. Yeah. Give me a weekly catch-up. How's your week been? I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> it felt full. It has been very full. Yeah. I think it's been pretty normal, full-ish week, hasn't it? Well, it started with MJ being in the ER and it ended so far with you being at a funeral. Oh, well, that's Not that normal. Well, full. (laughs) Yes, MJ ended up in the ER. MJ's fine, but Mm -hmm. he, Tuesday night, he had a band recital. Yes. And we were on the way there and MJ started complaining of stabbing pains. Not complaining, started howling and then started yelping. Mm-hmm. And then we were just crying and I just did a U-turn, which wasn't easy. I was on a back country road in a aging minivan. <laughs> but mm-hmm. pulled on the handbrake, did yeah. a U-born. Yeah. A U-born, a U-turn. Well, you pulled to, on the handbrake no, and did a U-turn. I was like, handbrake. wait, what now? <laughs> I was trying to make it kind of like dramatic Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I got you. Headed to ER... Turns out there's nothing wrong with MJ. I mean, we didn't know yeah, that. Some kind of weird the daughter's bug like, or something. Listen, in yeah. kids, it's either testicular torsion. It wasn't that. Uh, it's either uh, appendicitis, but she prodded on his appendix and there was no reaction. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a kidney stone, really unlikely in a small child, but let's have a look. But, you know, yeah, they didn't do an extensive testing. Because by the time we got to ER and by the time he got admitted, he was fine. And by fine, I mean talking, playing on his iPad. And the doctor came in and was like... You know, the only thing, an easy test to do would be he's just been lying down, maybe get him sitting up and moving around. And he was complaining of being hungry at this point, which makes sense. He hadn't eaten in hours. So the doctor got him some Gatorade and some cheese crackers. Yeah. So he ate those, was observed for like 45 <laughs> minutes. And the doctor was like, yeah, he looks fine. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, that's the most expensive <laughs> bottle of Gatorade I've ever. <laughs> hey, and cheese crackers. Uh, let's not forget the cheese you crackers. You know. But so. curious, you were... Uh, you came home and found out two other kids in his school had exactly the same yeah. symptoms. Yeah. And it was interesting because one of I was sitting next to one of his teachers at the recital because her daughter was uh, playing in the same band mm-hmm. as Tia. And so it wasn't a recital. It was a band concert thing. Wasn't that a recital? Well, I don't know. Maybe. I thought it was a... I don't know what they call it. Anyway, it was loud there's 200 children with instruments in a gym you know <laughs> mm, the acoustic <laughs> the treatment sound insulation oh it's beautiful um but she was saying yeah there was two other kids that sort of doubled over and were in pain for like a couple hours and then it, they were fine wow. but then she had made the suggestion of you know it also might be because it's tcap next week and a bunch of the kids are getting stressed out because they've never done tcap before and so they're just hearing about this mysterious tcap all the time and she said i think we actually stress them out oh. so i was like huh anyway yeah so we don't know what, what was going on there anyway, he's all fine thank you but tia's band thing was great yep. she did really well you got to go I got to go. And then we had weather, didn't we, on Wednesday? Boy, did we have weather. Give yeah. us a weather report, baby. Well, it was funny because, you know, we're we're sitting in senior team trying to decide, do we cancel Wednesday night classes? And you're looking outside and it is beautiful, sunny, like it doesn't look like there's anything oh, headed our way. Gorgeous. Blue skies. Yeah. But Nashville severe weather, who we who we adore. Adore Thank and follow you. on Twitter, is saying, you know, this 
this storm gets to us around seven and, you know, escalates around eight or nine. And we were like, seven is drop off between eight and nine is pickup, seems like. But it's never easy making future judgment calls. No. Because, you know, you you don't want to do false alerts. You want our youth and, yeah. and Wednesday's intercession and prayer. We want our services to run. Yeah. But we also want to care for the people who are but even at dinner like we're eating at 5 30 it's still nice and sunny outside yeah. and the girls were like why did we cancel youth exactly. for this but man did that storm roll in mm-hmm. yeah it was an, it was impressive that was an intense one yep and sadly i didn't think about we browned out a couple of times and then we like fully lost power is a blackout is when your power goes out completely mm-hmm. a brownout is when your power goes out intermittently we either blacked out for a couple solid seconds or browned out long enough to shut off my dehumidifier. And I had no idea. Guys, pray for us. The I know. I was. I but was... didn't you just the next one plug it back in and it finished? Well, I did, but I went up. I dehumidify my own apples for the guinea pigs. It's They normal. know. They heard the trauma. It's completely normal. And so I went up the next day to like put them all in the container thinking, yay, I have new, you know, treats ready for them. And nothing was dehydrated. And then I was like, oh, man, I plugged this in about two hours before those brownouts. So I, I had to run it again. This is the weekly catch yep. up. That you're there you go. For. I know you were like really wondering about we those. We got to teach together. We did? Yeah, we did the senior leadership panel. Oh, yeah, we Me, did. Me, you, and Jeff. That was this week. Yeah, half, <laughs> half our senior team were otherwise occupied. So yeah. Me, you, and Jeff held down the fort in SSL. Yeah, that was and fun. then our friend David Campbell, who you're going to hear from momentarily, we got to pick him up from the airport last yes. night. And so we get to us. host him for nearly a week, which Such is so great. To yeah. have him. Yeah. If you are listening to this podcast on Monday, April 18th, today is your last day to enroll in the More Than Enough course. Ah. Because that's live yeah. and we're accepting enrollments. The More Than Enough course is a course that I've designed to teach you all about the biblical foundations of both blessing and abundance. And the way it works, it's I'm running it for four weeks. You will watch well, yeah, about an hour's worth of video content a week. You'll answer some questions. And then on Saturday mornings, I'll meet with you to coach you. Uh, to process some of the questions that I asked you during the week, answer any questions you might have, and you'll get encouragement from hearing other people on the course and you'll be able to share testimonies. I'd love you to come do the course. I'm, I'm really eager for people to have more money, less stress, and greater financial security when you understand what God's heart is for you regarding yeah. blessing and finances. If you want to enroll in the course, don't delay because this this episode comes out on Monday and I've, we've got a whole host of people who are faithful listeners on Monday. If you want to do the course, today is your last day. Go to alanandaj.com slash more to enroll and I hope you can do the course. I'm excited to be with you. Yeah, be so fun. AJ, tell us about our main topic this week. Well, our main speaker this week is David Campbell. The right Reverend David and Campbell. he is wonderful. Um, he is very good friends with John and Carol. Mm-hmm. I remember him coming very near the beginning of the revival and he used to speak often at conferences and things like that. He's just a wonderful, uh, solid guy in the faith. And, uh, of course overseas, I forget like 200 churches for I Elam. I it was 200, 140 churches. Okay. So maybe that's like, I don't know. I, I don't know how many staff that is, but yeah. f- same thing. I had like 200 in my yeah, head. Yeah. Overseas, 140 churches. Yeah. Is a bit, yeah, one of the main leaders, part of the leadership team for the Elam network of Pentecostal churches in the UK and further afield. Yeah. 
and is a funny Scotsman. Oh, he's hysterically funny and so wise and just authentic and real. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know you are going to enjoy hearing from David. All right. David Campbell, welcome back to the show. I am pleased to be here. You and I have known each other. How long have we known each other? Oh, well over 20 years. And we would have met through John and Carol. Yeah. In Toronto. Uh, our dear friend, we were just talking about over breakfast, John Arnett, who's influenced both of us. Phenomenally. Probably more than we can... I mean, I got a wife out of it. I don't know what you... <laughs> I don't know what you got out of the relationship, but... I already had a wife, so I was okay there. <laughs> but, yeah, you're one of our uh, dearest people, both to AJ and I, but also to our community here at Grey Center. Everyone loves when you come. Great. And well, you... I love coming here. I mean, it's one of my favourite churches with some of my favourite people here. What is it? I mean, you seem to have an affinity and a love for America anyway, which I understand. I mean, I love it so much I moved here. But what is it that you love about being here? Well, I think what I love about here, apparently Jeff and Becky Dollars, the, yep. the atmosphere that they've created in the church, mm-hmm. Grace Centre, but it just seems to honour the Holy Spirit so much and the Father Heart of God, and they're they're ready to move. You know, yeah. when God moves in the service, they, they're ready to go with them. I don't see that everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's just to... To keep finishing well, you know, it's not that hard to start well. Yeah. You don't need a lot of effort to start well, but to keep going and keep going on well and be faithful, that shows what the real character of somebody is. They. One of the things I love about them is not only are they good at moving with the Holy Spirit, they're also good at pausing with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Like, it, you know, I, I have watched Jeff not endure, but like re- in his effort to honor the Holy Spirit, shut everything down, just pause and wait. Which is a hard thing to do. Like, you'll know. Like, because people are looking at you as a leader going, come on, that, uh-huh. make something happen. He's like, without the Holy Spirit, I can't make anything happen. I love that. I think sometimes it takes more courage to do nothing than to do something. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's no such thing as doing nothing. Right. Nothing, that's, that's not possible. Yeah. Making space is what you're doing. But people call it doing nothing. Yeah. You're making space for God to do something. And it's having the courage to do that. Yeah. Because if you make space and nothing happens, people blame you for nothing. Right. But actually, you weren't making nothing, you're making space. And I find he turns up, you know. I find he turns up. You, people, our listeners can probably already tell from your dulcet tones that you're from Alabama. <laughs> uh, uh, which part, I forget which part of Scotland you're from. I'm from the Glasgow side, a town called Greenock. The, the land so, of the great so, unwashed? Yeah, so this is an accent, it's not an impediment, <laughs> it's um, an accent. How have you not lost your accent, being in England all these years? I'm not sure, I think quality just sticks with you through your life that seems to be what happens really i've not i've not tried but do you when you hear my when you hear me speak do i just sound american to you or can you hear any trace of my scottish there's a little bit of a trace but you were from the wrong side of scotland anyway if i, I remember was. yeah I from was. the edinburgh side it's a softer <laughs> accent but, uh, but it's still there a bit the look's still there but uh, I just in the you know you flew in last night just in the twenty four not even twenty four hours that we've been talking the expressions that I've forgotten that are <laughs> native to Scotland the the terminal we were talking about people reaching out hey I'm just uh, I saw you reach out to me I just yeah. to, and you're like you didn't reach out to me you made a phone call exactly yeah. I find young people today they don't speak English anymore they say thanks for reaching out to us you didn't you phoned me you didn't reach anything out but, but it's just yeah English it's the literalism interesting. Language. One of the things, and I'm I'm really like telling myself here, but w- people who've listened to me long enough 
will very quickly realize that a lot of the stuff I say I've liberally borrowed from you. <laughs> because you're, like Bill, like Bill Johnson, you're the king of some one-liners. Yeah. You've got some that have really stuck with me, like one of my favorites, and I might be butchering them. But if you only believe the parts of the Bible that you like and you don't believe the parts of the Bible you don't like, you don't believe the Bible you believe yourself. Exactly. I've, I've, it's, it concisely summarizes a lot of the problems I'm seeing, and I've used that so many times. Or uh, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Yeah. That encapsulates a whole lot of principles in one sentence. I think if you, if, if you can sort of uh, look at something and, and, and almost just summarize it quickly... It makes a lot of sense and it's memorable. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's shorter and more at the point, and the more pointed it is, the deeper it goes. Yeah. And so I think sometimes people waffle around a subject, and if somebody says it directly, you think, yeah, I know what you mean. Now. Yeah, and it's easier to remember. I wrote down a list of them. Yeah. And what I thought we could play is uh, a trip down Campbellism Lane. So I've got a bunch of Campbellisms, and I thought, I'm going to read them back to you, and maybe you can expand on them. Okay. That work for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. There's nothing that's unforgivable. There are some things that are inexcusable. I think sometimes as a Christian, you feel under pressure to forgive everyone who's done all sorts of dreadful things to you. And so almost if you forgive them and you still feel something, well, actually, forgiveness isn't the same as saying that it's okay. Mm-hmm. What they did was wrong. If you were abused by somebody in the past, you can forgive them, but it didn't mean that you don't think it's wrong or even that they shouldn't pay the consequences for that. So some things are inexcusable. I'm making no excuses for this. I'm not saying, um, you know, it's okay, they had a bad day. No, it's inexcusable. There's nothing you can do to make that right, but I can still forgive it mm-hmm. because forgiveness has an effect on me rather than them. So therefore, I'm not going to stay a prison from what they happen because I rent space in my heart and mind to them for no reason. And they, and they may have done something dreadful to me. If I don't forgive them, they have an ongoing grasp into my consciousness. So forgiveness seems to cut that off. But it doesn't excuse what they did. Mm-hmm. There's two differences. It's hugely different, forgiveness and, and, and being excusing somebody's actions. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, atrocious behaviour too. Trust is a gift that's given... But if it's lost, it has to be built again. Unpack that for us. <laughs> Joe, sometimes they're so good I'm going to write them down myself again. You forget all those sort of things. But I think, I, I think we, we should start from a place that we trust people. Right. And we, we give people the benefit of the doubt. And that's the gift. And I think that's the gift. We mm-hmm. give that. Sometimes we give it because of the position. We give it because the testimony of the people. This is someone I can trust. Mm-hmm. But when trust is broken... Um, we're back to that, well, I forgive you, but that doesn't mean I now put you back to the level of trust I had you before. I have found you to be faulty in the area I trusted you in. And so if, if I sat in the chair and it broke and you said I fixed it, I would be a bit more careful how I sat in that chair, yeah. just in case for the first couple of times. And it's, so it's not the same. If, if somebody breaks trust, they have to win the right to put it back in place again. And so if somebody's broken trust and you forgive them, they say, well, you've got to trust me now. I say, no, 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 I'm giving you an opportunity to rebuild that trust. If you take it, we could get back to where we were. But if you don't, then no, no. That's an important message that, has the potential to break the cycle of abuse because you you often see leaders unhealthy leaders let me qualify that uh, who would who would trade on the position rather than the trust 
You know, like, hey, you actually need to submit to me, and I'm your leader, and, you know, you should be trusting me. This is what the Bible says. And what you're giving people permission to do is like, hang on, if they've not demonst- if they've not stewarded their trust well with you, they've got no right to think that's an entitlement. Exactly. Actually, the onus is on them to rebuild that trust. Mm. And you trust them to the level of their ability. I mean, if, if somebody came and asked me, um, I think they're buying a house, what do you think you should buy this house for? Do you think, I'd say... Go talk to a real estate person because I actually, you might trust me, but I haven't a clue what you're talking about. Right. And just because you trust someone doesn't mean what they say is actionable. You actually, I can only trust you up to your level of ability. Mm-hmm. And so I, if, if, I, if someone's not able to keep the word on something, I can only trust them up to that level. How about this? Just because you've correctly identified the problem doesn't mean you've discerned the answer. Oh, you know, that's huge. What's that come out of? A number of times I go in a situation. And you find someone in a difficult situation, they come and they, they say, this is what the problem is, this, 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 and this. You think, well, yeah, I know that. And so therefore we should do this. And because people think you've been good at articulating where we're at, therefore the next thing that comes out of your mouth is the answer. Uh, no, a blind man could tell you what's wrong with this situation. <laughs> and so just because you, you know what the problem is, you can say, the problem with America is this, this, and this, therefore we should do that. No. Yeah. No. How do you get to the answer then from that... Yeah, I mean, certainly identifying the problem is a good start in place to discern an answer. And I hear what you're saying. That it's not the, the same skill set is not required to diagnose a problem as to find it. Yeah. What, what advice would you give us for solving problems that we've correctly identified? Again, we're back to the whole situation of, of, of where, where is your skill set? Uh, one of my roles in leading leaders is I, I put people who have got a problem in touch with people who've got the answers. Mm-hmm. And so they might partly to discern what the problem is is, is important to me because then I can point out to the person who's got the right answer for that situation. Yeah. So I'm not undermining uh, the need to discern what the problem is. Sure. But what I am saying is is that uh, don't overestimate that as a value because it just means absolutely nothing about what the answer is. And, and I find that because people don't think about problems much, if somebody tells you what the problem is, you just assume this guy knows what they're talking about. Well, maybe not. Right. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just good at... Maybe they heard somebody else talk about it over breakfast. They have no idea themselves. And you have to actually say, no, what's the... Uh, okay, but know what the problem is. There might be five different answers. Two of them might be good. Three of them might be disastrous. Right. And so give me a suggestion. And I think we have to make sure that we actually evaluate their ability to know the future rather than to summarize the present so you lead what 200 churches 140 churches 140 churches right so that's a bunch of leaders that you're leading you're going to have your fair share of problems because churches are made up of people that's the problem churches without people it's not so bad (laughs) how do you like when you look back on the the the, the problems you've helped troubleshoot and solve. Do a pie chart for me. Where, where's the answer come from? I mean, obviously, you want it to come from God, but how much is it coming from experience? How much of it is coming from outside counsel? How much of it is coming from word of wisdom? Like, in your experience, how, what would you say your strength is in, in finding solutions? Where does it come from? I've never thought of that. I think one of the biggest things is if you learn to come alongside people, mm-hmm. I think it's almost the approach sometimes determine the destination. If you come approached with an aggressive, I'm going to sort this problem out, yeah. your destination will have a big fight, and, uh, right. and who wanted to go there? 
Yeah. And so one of my biggest things is that I, I, I don't see my leadership as being the policeman to uh, sort of make people keep the rules. I see myself as a coach. So I come alongside and say, no, you don't want to be doing that. That's not good for you. Now, don't go out training five times a day. Do it three times. Yeah. Or I actually go out three times, not once every three days. And so my idea is, is, is that folks realise I'm on their side. And that's the other thing is we're all on the same side. Whenever I get involved in situations, I have a couple of things I try to bear in mind. One, we're all on the same side. And two, usually there's no bad people involved. Mm-hmm. It's just a bad situation. And so I, I think the biggest thing I bring is an attitude that says, we're in this together. Your problem's my problem. We have a problem. We have a difficulty. And it, get the ego out of the way. Mm-hmm. Stop thinking, uh, let's get it right rather than be proved right. It probably helps that you are a very calm person. Like I haven't seen a lot of stuff rattle you. Mm. So like you're not easily shaken. Not on the outside. Or really, inside, do you feel it? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Sometimes I think uh, I get, I can get stressed, but I don't get that stressed. I mean, one of my friends once uh, described me, he said, Dave comes the sort of person, if he's preaching and a bomb goes off in the next room, he'll say, I'll just finish this point and then we'll go see what that was. <laughs> and uh, I'm a bit like that, really. <laughs> you are. And my wife, Mandy, my wife, she loves that. The thing she loves most about me is that I don't panic in a situation. Yeah. And the thing that she hates most about me is that I don't panic in a situation. Right. You're just not taking it seriously, you know. You know that poster that says something like, uh, if you can keep your head when all around you are losing theirs, you just do not understand the situation. Right. And I think I'm a bit like that, really. Right. Because I think panic's the last thing you want to do when you need to keep your logic about you. Yes, because worry does not equal care. No. And and, uh, that would be one thing I've noticed about you. The other thing I've noticed about you is you don't seem to have an ego in terms of being the person who has to have the solution or the answer. Is that true? I don't know, really. I don't think about that sort of thing. I think maybe that's just... But I did hear a story about the the man in church who they they gave him a little pin that said the most humble man in the church. They had to take it off him because they wore it every week. And I I think... uh, So that's that sort of question. If you say, I've got no ego. But I I think... I don't think it's anything that that I I would identify. But I, I think partly because I get my enjoyment out of seeing other people enjoying themselves yes and so if you're wired that way then actually in a sense my ego if that's such a thing is built up by seeing other people fulfilled mm-hmm. situations comes and it was john arnott that told me you know you want to go more, more for influence than prominence and um wow. in fact he said to me one thing i like with you david is you you value influence over prominence and i thought i didn't know i did you know until he taught me i think yeah, that's true i don't yeah. really care i'd rather things are done right my job is and earth is to get the right things done release people best and that's enough fulfillment for me i don't really that would be I, a pretty good definition of having no ego yeah but Just i don't i don't like being, put that on your resume yeah i don't like being dragged up you when you get publicly thanked and you know i, I don't like all that I, I find it embarrassing i don't so uh, okay so, so I, I, in a sense it's i don't die itself every day i think that's that's who i am i'm yeah. just how i'm wired really but i think my observation would be that 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 Whatever you want to call that, I would call that low ego, but also that you, you know, you bring peace, you're not easily rattled. Those two things must lower the anxiety in the room when it comes to it helps. troubleshooting problems. I, I think, you know, the, the Bible doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Um, it says blessed are the peacemakers. I think you have to work at having peace. Yeah. I don't think it comes naturally. No, it and sometimes, but sometimes it's not that hard. Sometimes it's just as, as quiet as, as little as 
telling a joke or just saying something, somebody, how's your wife? How's your kids? And change, let bring people back to a human level. Right. And rather than let it escalate. So I think peacemaking is, is, is easier than we think. You haven't managed to condense this in a cute little phrase yet. But the principle is so important. You were talking about sometimes in conflict, we focus on the wrong thing. Hmm. Can you unpack that? Sometimes I go in a situation mm-hmm. um, and there's, say I've got a big board fighting amongst itself. Yep. My question sometimes is, so what happened? Because I remember five years ago, you guys were all great friends. Mm-hmm. And, and so you present this problem to me and I have to sort it. I mean, you have a problem. But actually, five years ago, you'd have sorted this out over a cup of coffee. Today, you're calling me and it's sort of a problem. Mm-hmm. So what happened? And you find out that maybe the friendship went wrong four years ago. They fell out or their partners fell out with each other. And actually, I cannot resol- I can resolve this problem. I can just say, I'll make the decision and that's that sorted. But actually, that's not the problem. But what happened? Problem's way back there. It's way back then. So let me, this this actually, this problem we can sort any time, but we'll have another one like this in a couple of years' time unless I find out what happened. I mean, he's been healing to that relationship because relationship's the most important thing. Yeah. If I can get that relationship healed, we, we'll be able to cope with somebody having a different opinion. Yeah. And you give that benefit of the doubt. What happens? When, when, when you start almost... As soon as somebody says something, you take the worst possible meaning out of it. You're on your way downhill right. very fast. Yeah. Because if you know somebody and you love them, think, no, you, you, even a minute of that, right. even if you said it, that's not what you meant. That's not who I know them to no. be. Yeah. And, and, and so I go back to, so what happened? And that's longevity of relationship helps. Mm-hmm. So in my role, I've been doing it for 20 years. So a, a lot of these pastors, I I put them in as the pastor of that church. I've, I've set the elders in place. I know all those things. I've got you know, more than two decades of sort of looking after them. Yep. And that helps. Yeah. And I know that there's no bad people. And that's the other thing I often bring in a situation like that. I think there's no bad people. And sometimes I sit around a table where there's a bit of warring factions. I say, let's just say first thing, there's no bad people here. And I see a couple of people going, <clears throat> okay, I think, ah, okay, you think there is a bad person Hey, here. your tail is yeah. showing. Yeah, I can tell. That's why it's better than Zoom. I mean, Zoom, you can't always tell. You miss out on some You miss out on that little twig. And it actually think, so, so what happened? Right. And so the people that flinch, I said, so what happened to make you think that? Because I know you, you're not a bad person. I know him, he's not a bad person. Yeah. And so I refuse to take sides. Yeah. And I think sometimes you're a bit like, I always think with Joshua went out and it was just, he meets the uh, the angel of the Lord with yeah. a, a big sword, <laughs> and he runs towards him. I think, wow, wow, and that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because yep. it's almost like you know, a, a paramedics and, and and policemen and firemen they run towards the problem. Everyone else runs away. Yeah, Josh is a leader. He runs towards him and says, "So, whose side are you on? Theirs or ours?" He says, "No, no, I'm not on their side. I'm not even on your side. But you could be on my side." Yes. And start going to people and say, I'm not coming on your side. I'm coming. Your- I'm on the side of what's right. Do you want to come with me? Yes. And let's all be on this side because I'm not taking sides because I'm on the Lord's side. You come. And, and so we can't divide like that. There's not an option. We're on God's side or we're not. There's a lot packed into one of these one-liners, isn't know. there? As it would turn out. But the seven series <laughs> are most of them, really. I should be charging by this. Yeah, the, by the it's word, consultancy really. fee yes, right here. Like that, yeah. Yeah. We're called to be examples, not an exception. I think called to be examples, not exceptions, is huge for me. Because I, I, I think sometimes as leaders, if you're not careful, you can preach things and not do it yourself. It's very easy to do that. Mm-hmm. I find I found pastors that don't tithe. I found treasurers that don't tithe. 
and people who teach it and say we should, we should give, you know, when you have a big offering, they don't put much in it. And then, so I think because wow. they've got a reason to be in it. You know, I go to meetings, and forgive me, Pastor, you get upset at this, but I've been in meetings now. Now I'm not leading the church, often in the meetings, they say, just get in a group, three or four of you, and pray together. They don't go in a group. Wow. They stand on the platform and they chat to the musician or they just wander around and say, excuse me, excuse me, can you get in a group, please? Because I actually find it really embarrassing. Because I'm, although I'm quite a, a public person on the platform, I'm quite shy, really. My, my natural person outside my gifting is to be, you won't find me centre of attention at a party. I'll be sitting on the edge with other people. That's where I prefer to be. And so when they say, go talk to these three people you've never met before and pray with them your deepest secrets, and I think, but you're not doing it. Right. So you're, 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 you're telling me what to do, but you're not being an example. You're being an exception. And I think the best way to disciple people is to live their life and let them copy you. And so you've, you've got, it's ever so important that you don't, find an excuse not to do what you've just told everybody else to do. Wow. Your leaders must love you most, or hate you. Most of them do. <laughs> most, most, most. I say, because part of my, I am used a lot to go and resolve problems. Mm-hmm. And my wife always says, Mandy says, how can you go into these people and both sides love end up loving you? So I don't really know. I think being six foot three, you know, and, and big, People don't want to take you on, really, so they'd rather be a friend than it's fall to your up with advantage. you. It's yeah. my advantage. I tower over people. I just threaten to sit on them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're never too spiritual to take the trash out. Almost speaks for itself. It's very similar to if you're if you're too big yeah. to serve, you're too small to lead. My eleventh commandment is, "Thou shalt not take thyself too seriously." Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, if, if 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 you cannot connect with with the real world, then then we don't need you. Right. You really you haven't got a role here. Mm-hmm. And some people just think, I'm too spiritual to do this. And you're never too spiritual to put the chairs out. Right. Or to help pick rubbish up off the floor and do things like that. Who? It's again about being an example, not an exception. Right. But if you have to be told to say, oh, I'll do that because people are watching me. No, that's not what we're after. We're after sort of a keep your heart right. Servant hearted people don't have to be told to serve. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have to be told to stop for a minute and take a rest. But servant-hearted people do it because it's natural. They haven't thought about it. I'm going to put these two together. They're two separate ones, but I think they're two sides of one coin. Different is not wrong, and always wear your own clothes. Unpack those for us. Well, first one, different is not wrong. Comes from... Sometimes there's more than one right answer. Mm-hmm. And often when I get in a big situation, I have to say to you, listen, you want this and you want that. They're both right. They're going to have to decide which right answer we go for. And you may have to die to self for this. Somebody may have to just give way. Yeah. And um, that's when you can't please all the people all the time. Mm-hmm. But usually it's not that big. And so I think difference, not, just because somebody's different to you, mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're wrong. Just because somebody's a Calvinist and you're not, doesn't mean they're wrong, you're right. Because you can, they're, they're actually, if you, if you start going into attitudinal areas, you can be right, but be very wrong in the way you go through it. And so it's sort of a, just because somebody's different, you can believe the right things for the wrong reasons. And I think being different, it's, you're just different. They're not even spelt the same. They're nothing like each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. What was the other one? I can't remember. Oh, the the other one was, uh, is always wear your own clothes. Well, I, I sort of think about that. It's um, David, you know, uh, but he goes to wear Saul's clothes. Well, why would you want to do that? Mm-hmm. 
why, why? And I think sometimes that comes when there's an insecurity about who you are in yourself. Mm-hmm. And like David knew who he was, so he. It's almost like I can imagine him in front of Saul wearing his armour and, and thinking, I've got the king's armour on, what an honour. The truth is, if the armour's that fantastic, why didn't Saul wear it and go and fight Goliath? If the armour makes a difference, then, then Saul wear it. Mm-hmm. Don't let David wear it. And it's not the armour, it's the man inside that makes a difference. And so you might as well be wearing clothes. David, when you fought the lion and the bear, you didn't have armour on then. Mm-hmm. You won't need it on now. And I think... One of the, the things which helped is is he won because um, it's who you are, but nobody's watching it's who you really are. I mean, David could have totally liked Saul's, oh, I've been out fighting bears and killing lions. And, but if he's, if he's making himself sound better, he's going to die today. Right. Because Goliath will kill him. Yeah. And, and so you, you, you have to. So he had a history of secret victories. Mm-hmm. And whereas many people. They don't want to fight Goliath because they've got a history of hidden defeats. Mm. Because what people think they are, there's not what they are really. And I think so. David could wear his own clothes, be himself, and that would be enough. And it's interesting because if you read the story about David, that um, everyone's intimidated by Goliath, but David says, "You know, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord." And was, his brothers took offence because they, he was challenging them. David took offence because he's challenging God. And he almost says, you know, it was him that said, I'll be back because um, I'm wearing my own clothes. And he came clothed in the righteousness of God and he won. So just be yourself. Like I think we said earlier a while ago anyway, that um, um, you might as well be yourself because all the other options are taken. Mm-hmm. Who else are you going to be? Mm-hmm. Like somebody said, uh, I, want to, I always wanted to be somebody. Well, you are somebody. Make it somebody good. Continuing on the theme of problem solving. Right. You said this, some problems don't have solutions because there are tensions that need to be managed. I think we live in a world where everyone looks for a quick solution for everything. You know, phone up, we'll give you an answer over the phone, um, I've got an expert on everything. But some some problems haven't got an answer. Some things are tensions you're always going to have to marry. And if you're married, you must know that. Some things, you know, you have to, there's no straightforward answer to any problems. You're going to have to manage the tension. Like tension between St. Church, modern songs and traditional hymns. You don't say, right, we're only going for modern, we're only going... You can't. You have to have the tension. I've got a group here who like this. I've got a group here like that. I'm going to have to manage the tension, which means both groups are going to have to have a little bit of grace, a little bit of, of, of kind-heartedness towards the other, because there's not an answer to this problem. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be a tension. But it can be a creative tension. Mm-hmm. And creative tensions create things, don't they? So, so so you have to be careful that you don't think everything's got an answer. And sometimes when I get called into a problem, they say, what's the answer? I say, I don't think there is one. Not one answer. There's five answers, and none of them are great. And sometimes I end up saying to people, um, this is my least bad option. Wow. I'm not sure there's a great option. We're in a mess here. Uh, none of them are nice. No, none of the ways forward are good. But the least bad option probably is this, that we do this now. Because it's a different perspective, I isn't do, it? Because people want to live in a pain-free world. You know, take this tablet and your pain will be gone in two hours. No, it won't. No, it won't. It might be livable for a couple of hours, but it will be back in the morning. So you can't have to manage this long-term. And short-term solutions are exactly that. They're, they're, they're short-term, but they're not 
they're not the solution. Mm-hmm. And they might solve it and take your mind off it for a little bit, period of time. But you have to actually put a coping mechanism that deals with the tension of the problems, that appreciates the other side, and actually maybe moves a little bit of room for yourself. And you, you manage that tension as you move along. It might swing one way or the other as time goes on, but it's a tension that has to be managed. Mm-hmm. I, I love this one. And I wish I came up with it. And I'm going to give you credit once, and then I'm going to claim yeah, that's it as mine. Yeah, after that's yours, yeah. <laughs> Acceptance and approval are two very different things. I think that's yours for me, because I think it's one of the things I live my life on, really, because um, I, I think in today's society, is almost as, even particular groups of people say, unless you approve of everything I do, then you have to reject me. Right, you're not accepting me. You're not accepting me. Yeah. And, and you can understand maybe why they are that, but actually... I think you've you've not understood the love of God, really. Mm-hmm. Because as a Christian, I accept and love people who do things I do not approve of. I've had in my own family. When my, one of my, my daughters, she wasn't really, she, she struggled a bit. She became a single mum. I didn't approve of some of the things that she did, but we never stopped accepting her. Mm-hmm. And and she would, her testimony, now she's back with the Lord, would be saying she always knew that her daddy loved her and her mum loved her and we accepted her. And she knew we didn't always approve. Mm-hmm. So acceptance and approval are not the same thing, and neither should it be made to be make a choice. If you're going to approve me of me, you have to accept everything I do. Approval is a lot smaller than acceptance. Wow, love is huge. I I I, I love people who do things I don't accept. I, I don't approve of. I think God's like that with us too. Of course, He loves us. It didn't mean He approves of everything I do or don't do. Yeah, and that, that, and so it's almost if you understand the love of God is bigger than all those things. Well, it's beautiful as well because my acceptance can't be threatened hmm. by my behaviour. Like the the Lord just accepts me, uh, even of course He doesn't approve, and He He gave Jesus to make up for that gap. There's nothing you can do that stop God loving you, mm-hmm. but there are things you can do to stop you feeling that love. Mm-hmm. And so all the barriers are on our side. Yeah. All the barriers to stop us receiving the love of God are this side yeah. of heaven, not that side. And so God goes always flowing his love. It's up to us whether we open up and receive it or not. This one is not your one. It's your mother's. All right. But it's brilliant. Yeah. Half a truth is a whole lie. I always say that um, this isn't in the Bible because my mum told me, but if my mum had lived in Bible times, it would be in the Bible now. Mm-hmm. Because often your mother tells you things, you think that's so good. And she would say to me, half a truth is a whole lie. So if I if I tell you half the story, I don't tell you anything that's not true. Right. I tell you half the story and I tell you half of the truth. You go away believing something's not true. That's the same as me telling you a lie. The half the truth is a whole lie. And I, it comes back to what is the definition of truth because Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if I tell you half a truth, it doesn't set you free. It's not the truth. Right. Factuality and truth are two different things. Things that are factual are not necessarily truth yet. So there may be fact. Here's a fact. I am a sinner deserving of hell. That's a fact. I can do nothing about that. It doesn't make me feel great. Sinners doesn't set me free. So it's that half a truth. The other half is I am a miserable sinner, deserve hell, who Jesus died on the cross for to pay for my sin, and I'm forgiven now. I've been given his righteousness, and I'm looking forward to spending eternity with him. Now, that's the truth, right. and that sets me free. And so the whole truth will set you free. Half the truth is a lie, and it belongs to, like, here's another quote. I didn't agree with this one. Was There's two fathers in the Bible, and there's a father in heaven, and Jesus said there's a father of lies. And the father of lies tells you half the truth but the Father of Heaven tells you the whole truth and it sets you free.
How about this one? Preach from your scars, not your wounds. Yeah. Explain that. Well, when I say preach from your scars, not your wounds, often but if you're in pain and people ask you a question, you will give a pain-filled answer. It will reflect more where you're at than anything else. But I've, don't share then. I've had a number of times when people who are going through a real hard time and say, I want to get through this so I can help other people. I say, well, when you're through it, you will. But don't do anything at now. the moment. You're not even helping yourself, right? You're not even thinking logically. You can't see it. But there's almost a desire of, I know I'll be well enough to help other people, but you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And when you share, you just share your pain and your perspective is probably a little bit unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But perhaps when you look back on the same situation and and that, because if you touch a wound, it's sore, but if you touch a scar, it's not. But it reminds you of the previous pain, and you can talk about it in an objective way and a, and a way that helps you through that situation. So you wait until the situation that caused you pain is a scar, because you've still got the memories of it, but you've got the objectivity to be able to talk about it and be able to apply it to somebody else's life. So, so talk from your scars, not your wounds. It's it it, it, it it's too early mm-hmm. to talk about things from your wounds. It might even push the wound a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. and make you in pain for longer. And we've probably all been on the receiving end, hopefully we've been on the receiving end of people who've taught from their scars. Like I remember the first time I heard AJ, I I literally could not reconcile the woman in front of me who is radiant with the love of God telling her testimony of the most horrific pain, abuse and abandonment. I'm like, how is that possible? Preaching from her scars. But then similarly, we've, we've listened to people who are, you know, Going through it, and by faith, they're saying they're going to get healed. But all it is is a, is kind of like a, a toxic group therapy that we weren't, we didn't agree to. I've listened to some pastors, and they tell me about that week. I think I wasn't depressed before I came into church, but I'm definitely depressed now. I think you're like, where's the victory? Where's the yeah, power? Praise, because you're not through it yet. You're, right. not, you're not through it yet, and you're. And it's not denial. See, there's a thin line between yeah. hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Of just saying, no, I'm smiling. God's good is on the throne. I'm not going to tell you about my problems. It's, it's it's to do with when is it appropriate to talk about this? And so, what's hypocrisy is to pretend you never had a scar in your life, right? And that, but, but what's common sense is to wait until the wounds are healed enough to bear opening up and talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, I'm not saying you should never talk about the hard things in your life. The opposite is the truth. We must we must declare ourselves human. Preachers have got to declare ourselves human because sometimes you think they're the only people who haven't got problems. I mean, here's what I'm not giving you, but I do know this, that sometimes it's easy to appear as a pastor, as a preacher, as if you've got no problems in your life. And my wife, Mandy, used to have people come up to him saying, it must be wonderful being married to somebody like David. He's wonderful. And I never understood. I thought I can understand them thinking that. I thought that was great. <laughs> I thought I could see where you got that from. But I said to the man, man, it's a bit like this. They they all think you married Superman, but you know when I get home, I'm Clark Kent. Right. And so we're not. We're not. The no. real us. But we have to let people know. I'm actually, I've never been Superman. Right. I never. I'm not, I don't think I'm even up to Clark Kent in to be honest, because that's who I am. And the big plus in that, if you don't try and live up to being Superman, life's a lot easier. I can't live... I've been introduced as a speaker and they've said such amazing things. I've had to, I've had to actually put a disclaimer on saying, well, whoever that preacher is, he sounds great, but it's not me. This is me. He's not here today. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't do all those sort of things. Most gardens are not attacked by the devil, but neglected by the gardener. Well, that's me sort of trying to say... Now, sometimes ducking personal responsibilities is a very easy thing to do. 
Especially when you've got a big bad devil to blame it on. Yeah, it's not my fault. I can remember this film called, it's a Look Who's Talkings, but um, uh, a man gets this woman pregnant and uh, uh, and she has a baby, but she goes to see him to try and get, I think, him to take responsibility for the baby. And he actually says to her, it's just classic. Someone said, um, I'm seeing a counsellor and he says, I'm just going through a very selfish stage. There's nothing I can do about it. And I just think, I love that. And I think, how many people could hide behind that? Say, I would yeah. love to be able to help. I'm just going through a, it's, it's just one of those things. No, it's not. You take a bit of responsibility and deal with it yourself. And the reason your garden's in the mess is because you've not dealt with it or sorted it out. And we used to have that story about the devil standing outside the church crying and pastor going up and said, what's wrong with you? He says, they blame me for everything in there. And I think it's so easy. I can sin without the devil. I don't, I am, I haven't got legions of, in, or, of, of demonic activity attacking me every day. I've got the flesh to deal with. I'm not actually high enough in the pecking order to get sort of arch, some arch demons coming after me. I, I, I can do that on my own. And I think if I, if I keep a clean garden, the king will walk in amongst it and spell the roses. What you just said ties in with another Campbellism. You can't cast out the flesh, you have to crucify it. Yes. So similar. If people obviously say it's not my fault. It's right. not my, I'm just, I'm demonised. Well, not really. I, remember, I, I told you a story, I was talking to this lady, and she told me every big name in England she'd been to for deliverance, and they couldn't get the demon out of her. And uh, and come at me, and I think, oh, I'm glad you got around to me eventually. You know, so I must go down the list and stuff. Blah, blah, blah. But more or less saying you're going to fail, but have a go if you like about it. And I, this might sound terrible, I'm sorry, but it's just the thing I said to her. I said, well, actually, to be honest with you, I, I, I'll pray for you, but I don't think you got a demon. I think you're just a naughty lady. And uh, that's the truth of it. I said, you haven't got a demon. You're just very naughty. You got to stop it and crucify the flesh. And I think it's so easy just to say, it's, it's the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You were a willing conspirator in this sin. He didn't have to push you very hard at all. Right. And so we got to say, well, you take responsibility for who you are, because that's that's what Jesus, he, he, he actually, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't become a Holy Ghost puppet. He, he gives you your mind back mm-hmm. so you can think. Remember the, the, the Gadarene demoniac, the guy who's full of demons, he actually says later on he was found at the feet of Jesus and clothed in his right mind. Mm-hmm. And he actually says to Jesus, um, let me go with you. And we'd say that'd be great, great testimony. You'll be well known. That'd be fantastic. Jesus says, no, you're not coming with me. And it's almost as if he's saying, I used to be controlled by demons. Now I want to come and I want you to control me, tell me what to do. And Jesus says, no, you go and be under control on your own now. Mm-hmm. And Christians are not people who are puppets on a string. They're people who God's given the ability to think by yourself in a godly way. I don't know why this popped in my head, but another one of my favourite phrases of yours is weird Christians were weird non-Christians. Yes. <laughs> I think, obviously. But you see a weird Christian, you think, yeah, this is the improved version you've seen. <laughs> because before they were Christians, they're even more weird than that. And this is, this is you've just seen what they've been like if they hadn't got saved. And weirdness is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's no. Just, um, no, it's not It's not the prophetic spirit falling no, on you. No. Yeah, could we please get rid of that misnomer in the church? Yeah. Oh. Again, it's amazing how many of these are all linked together through wisdom. One of the other things that you said... Lordship is made possible by choice, not experience. Yes. And it's, interesting with, it's almost you think, um, if, if people have a huge experience of God, and then they go off and sin, you think, well, what happened there? It's because lordship is not 
ex- an experience. It's, it's how you respond to that experience by a decision. Mm-hmm. And the Bible doesn't say believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. It doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. It says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved. And that's to do with submission of the will. That's to do with him being the king and, and, and stepping back. In the time of Jesus, you, you didn't have borders where you said, this is where I go, this is where I live, this is, this is I've just gone from, from America into Canada. There's no borders. But you'd ask in the village or the town you ended up in, which king do you obey here? And by told which king they obeyed, you knew whose kingdom you were in. And actually, that's when you find out, which kingdom do I live in? Is, well, which king am I obeying? Right. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Mm. It's a choice. And so thinking, who do I choose to obey? And so it's made possible by the choice. It's like, you know, we've seen people overcome by the Holy Spirit and lying, lying on the ground for hours. You think, wow, that's amazing. And then you find out they go off in sin. You think, how could that happen? We all ask those questions, but it's because they've had an experience, but they didn't choose to build it into their lives. Right. You think it, about the disciples. Mm. Judas had the same experience as all the other disciples, and he chose not to be under lordship. The experience yes. and the encounter didn't make a difference. They had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's what comes, an opportunity to declare the lordship of Jesus. Some take it, some don't. There's nothing wrong with the um, experience. The weakness is always going to be humanity. This one is so out there. Is it really? No, it's great, but devoid of context, it might be confusing. So the answer to who it is is more important than what it is or why it is. Mm. Give us some context and tell us why that makes sense. That was to do with Acts chapter 2. Just imagine you're a new Christian, just got saved, resurrection of Jesus, um, the apostles are meeting every day for prayer, a lot of prayer meetings. And so you walk into church, and I guess like every new convert, you've got someone who asks, answers the questions for you. And you're just sitting there, a bunch of us standing there, actually. And uh, in the prayer meeting, the whole place is shaking, but nobody runs out. I mean, if you're in the San Andreas Fault, you might have run out of church then. But you didn't move. So there's some supernatural, but nobody's afraid. And that's an interesting sign in itself. But you sort of think, okay, well, I'll ask the pastor about that at the end of the meeting. So he's like, hold your finger. All right, what was that about? And the next thing you know, suddenly there's fire comes across. I mean, you would notice that. I mean, you would notice that. And and, and, and rest on top of people's heads, there's tongues of fire thinking, my word, what is that about? And th- thinking, I'll, I'll ask about that then. I'll ask about, so I've got the, why, where, what's that happening? Sort of, I suppose in the Bible there was the ground being shaken when God moved. There's the fire at yeah, Elijah, yeah, fire. The next thing, your mate who is not the brightest pencil in the box starts speaking in French. It sounds like French anyway. And you're thinking, where where do you learn that? And they're thinking, and he's just worship away in French. You think, that's really, really weird because speaking in tongues is not in the Bible until then. It's not in the Old Testament. You can't think of anywhere where it's prophesied. I think, I really need to ask about that. Have we joined a cult or something? What's happening here? And so I'm going to ask about the the shaking, the fire, the speaking the language. And then you notice that people who don't speak French are listening to what he's saying, appear to be listening. They understood it in their own language. And they actually say, how come we hear in our own language? You think, but he's not speaking in your language. You think, that's really weird. I'm going to ask about that. So I've got four things to ask. I won't forget. I'm going to ask about the shaking. I'm going to ask about the fire. I'm going to ask about the, the speaking foreign languages. I'm going to ask about them hearing a different language. And then Peter stands up. There's a rabbinic greeting but where he starts his preaching and, he's, and he says, right, good, he's going to explain this. 
He's going to explain why, why, what, what, why, why. And he says, this is that which is spoke by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit. Now, it, is, it doesn't say what. It doesn't say why. He says, before we go any further, I'll tell you who's doing this. Because when you know it's who, you, I mean, you're allowed to ask the questions, but you'll ask them in a much more respectful way. You ask them, it's more important to know who it is. Once you know who it is, then you know who to ask the question to and how to ask it. So the most important thing people were saying was, this is God, folks. Mm. This is God, folks. I found that when we've had moves of the Holy Spirit, that people who didn't like it asked the same questions as we asked, but with a different tone in their voice. And we would say, well, how could somebody lie on the floor and then go up and commit adultery? I would ask that question. But they would say, how could somebody almost like to, to say it badly? Say, Be careful. I know who put them on the floor. But I also know who went up and committed adultery. It wasn't Jesus that got up and committed adultery. And so, so who's doing it? Be respectful about who's doing it. And when you know it's God, it, it, you, you look at things differently in a more um, respectful way. Mm-hmm. And it explain a lot in the life of Jesus, too. Hmm. Spit on the ground, making mud. Where's that in your prayer handbook? I've never done that. I've never done that. It's, well, it's one of the things of Jesus I've not done. You're speaking at Grace Centre on Sunday. Uh, First time for yes. everything, David. That is, that is. If you can bring some mud in, just in case we need it, that be? Oh, David, I'm wondering if you would pray for our listeners who are listening yeah. today for, <clears throat> you know, one of the things you carry is this practical wisdom. Would you pray for an impartation for wisdom that helps us in our everyday life. I'd love to do that. The big thing is, don't take yourself too seriously. God will show you. He actually wants you to get this right. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to get it right. And so when God's on your side, my goodness, you're not going to fail. So we'll pray. Father, I thank you that you know everything from the beginning to the end and the bit in between. And I pray for every person listening, watching this, this, this time, that you speak deep into our hearts and that you would overflow us with your presence. Father, please don't leave this to us. Please don't leave us on our own. But rather, Jesus, you said you would never leave us. You would never forsake us. And they said, if any of us lack of wisdom, let's ask of God who gives all things liberally. And we could freely confess our lack and be freely, graciously, grab hold onto your ample provision of all things wise. So I pray for a release of the wisdom of God for, for specific situations, for times of ministry, for all sorts of things that are, are, are coming into our lives that we might see the wisdom of God triumphing in situations that will bring glory to the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. David, thanks so much for being with us again. Always a joy to have you with us. And David is going to be speaking at Grace Centre on Sunday. You'll have to go back in time to watch it because this episode comes out on Monday. But I'll put a link in the show notes to both services that David speaks at and Emily. Oh, yeah. If you happen to be listening to this on a Monday, David will also be speaking uh, at Emily on Monday night. He's also going to be one of our guest speakers at our School of Supernatural Life, to which the applications are open. If you would love mm. to come to beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, if you would love to be trained and equipped by people like David, then our School of Supernatural Life might be the place for you. Go to gracecenter.us slash school. And if you're somewhere other than America or unable to travel here, visas, whatever, we also have SOSL online where you can have the School of Supernatural Life experience from your home anywhere in the world. Again, David, thanks so much for being with thank us. You, Alan. So thank you, David, for coming in and sharing your wisdom. He's got so many one-liners. Yeah. Like, I just have a file on my phone of, of all David of the one-liners one yeah. I've heard. And uh, yeah, that was fun to yeah. be. Thank you, David, for doing that. Yeah. Give the fine people an adoption update. Okay. 
still raising money. And we have been accepted by the large agency that we applied to. So it, Which it has taken weeks. weeks. Well, it should yes. have been a rather straightforward process. Got a little tricky. Yeah, it was plagued by hiccups. That's a great way of putting it. And uh, But we've just actually received word today that we have been accepted by them. Into so, another adoption agency. Yes. Did I tell you about my dream this week? You did. Do you want to tell our listeners about your dream? I had a dream this <laughs> week that we had adopted two babies. I don't know if they're twins, but we had adopted a little baby boy and a little baby girl. Uh-huh. And in the dream, they were an easy addition to our life. Excellent. Which sounds super sweet and naive. <laughs> but the girl was called Rachel. And the boy's name, I knew the boy's name in the dream. I, I couldn't remember the, the boy's name when I woke up. But in the dream, they were expert feeders and sleepers. And it was no problem having to. Amen. I receive it. Yeah. Well, that's not received I mean, too. <laughs> I I received the expert feeder and sleeper part of that. So please continue so. to pray for us with our adoption journey. It is a journey and a half. It's quite the journey. Yes. Yeah. And we're just still waiting to be matched. And yeah. And the last couple of weeks have been a little bit discouraging where we're like, yeah. wait, hang on. This yeah. should be really easy. And it but it hasn't been. But anyway, I'm, I'm excited about what this means for us in terms of more options. Yes. For babies. Wonderful. If people want to get the show notes for this week's episode, they go to? AlanandAJ.com slash 277. If people want to ask us a question that we can answer on air, they would go to? AlanandAJ.com slash ask. Who is your favorite husband of all time? Alan Jones. <laughs> Thank you. If <laughs> yeah, people want to become a member, support the show, get super secret treats like discounts to all of our products, like the course that we're running right now, or video access to this episode and other episodes, they would become a member by going to alanandaj.com slash join. Oh, you're so good. Thank Thanks. you so much for being with us. Thank you to our special guest, David Campbell. We pray you have an amazing week. Bye-bye. Faith. Life communication, tacos and video games, paleo donuts and the kindness of God, the things we deal with every day, from Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me, Alan and AJ, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, sharing their life experiences, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, they talk about faith in God, and everything under the sun, if you are a human being, there's something here for everyone.